Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. The Gospel of Luke. In the New Testament there, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, Luke's not my favorite Gospel, I'll be honest. Um, my favorite Gospel is Matthew because... It's just got a great name. Uh, but Luke's top four, okay? So it's top four. It's a joke. There's only four Gospels. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so Gospel of Luke, chapter, chapter 24. And um, the last few weeks, we've been, uh, we've been in a series called Passion. Going the wrong way. There we go. Called Passion. Uh, and last week, perhaps, was kind of the culmination, although we're still in the series of it, the culmination of this idea of passion. We celebrated Easter, right? We celebrated all the things that Easter is. Christ dying on the cross. Christ resurrecting. Christ forgiving us of our sins, but also canceling the power of the curse of sin and death, allowing us to be free as we follow into his ways. And in our Western calendar, and in our Western culture, we have a, a propensity to tend to want to look forward to an event on the calendar, celebrate that event, and then quickly move on to the next event, right? We say, hey, there was Easter, I was ready for it. I had my eggs ready, my basket ready. Family was coming over. We were cooking a ham, whatever, all your Easter activities. And we say we celebrated the day. Now it's done. Now we've got 365 days before we have to think about that again. Right? And we move on. And we say, okay, what's next on the calendar? Don't know what you celebrate. Maybe you celebrated Earth Day really big. I don't know. For a lot of us, it's probably July 4th is kind of the next big calendar day. In our culture, we do that all the time, right? We move from one event to the next event, never really stopping even once we get to that event very long because as soon as it happens, we're ready to move on. I mean, we feel this especially at Thanksgiving time, right? And it's kind of even creeped back closer even to Halloween now where sometimes we just bypass Thanksgiving altogether and go straight into Christmas season. And I'm there. I'm there for that. I love Christmas. Um, But in our culture, we speed past things. And one of the things I like about Christmas is there is kind of a a natural, uh, even cultural still, idea that Christmas is kind of a season, that it stretches out. It's not just one day, right? There's usually a big day, but but it kind of stretches out for a season. Easter, though, we kind of just say it's one day and gone. But if you're familiar with the church calendar, and I know not all of us are, and, and we don't have to follow it, like, strictly. But if you're familiar with the church calendar, on the church calendar, today is considered the second Sunday of Easter. And I really appreciate that. Because I think we move past Easter too quickly. 
We move past what happened there too quickly. That changed everything. And we only are going to give it 24 hours in a calendar year. So I appreciate the fact that the church calendar kind of says, hey, hold on, let's, let's reflect for a second. And truthfully, I've said it here before, that even the very idea, the reason Christians celebrate Sunday as their holy gathering day, the reason this is the day we get together is because of the resurrection. Our ancestral cousins, the Jewish friends of ours, celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday. We celebrate it on Sunday because that was the day Jesus resurrected. It's a distinguishing point for us. Sunday is important because the resurrection is important. And so today I want us to remember the resurrection. Let's not leave it in the past. Let's not leave Easter back last week. No, we're celebrating Easter today. And we should celebrate it every day. Because it's because of Easter that we have life. And the propensity for life abundant. So like I said, Luke uh, 24 is where we're going to be looking at today. Uh, if you have your Bibles there. And I'm going to read for us uh, the verses that you see reflected on the screen. It was too much to put on there all at once, but we'll kind of break it down here after I read through it. But I want to read uh, 13 through 35, and then we'll go from there. It says, Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to talk or walk with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. They had asked him, what is this dis dispute? Or then he asked them, I'm sorry, then he asked them. Jesus asked the guys, or the people walking, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? He asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village. And where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread. He blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road? And explaining the scriptures to us, that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem 
They found the eleven and those who had gathered together, who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Heavenly Father, once again, I thank you for your word. May it come alive to us today. May the words that come out of my mouth not be the words of Matthew, but the words of the risen Christ coming into our midst. May we hear and may we do as you ask of us this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. So like I said, for the last three weeks, we've, we've been in a series of passion. Talking about Jesus. Talking about how Jesus' passion becomes our passion. How Jesus' passion and the things he does and the things that he loves and the things he's excited for are the things that we're supposed to be excited about. The things we're supposed to love, the things we're supposed to do, that we're a reflection of him in that. And it all comes down to this kind of idea of passion. You know, earlier in the year, uh, many of you know that my National Guard unit was activated and, and I responded to uh, hospitals and I was traveling around Cincinnati and Springfield and Dayton, traveling to all the locations that my soldiers were at um, and offering ministry and, and love and compassion and just a listening ear to the challenges and difficulties that everybody was enduring. And, and some of the conversations I had really surprised me. Um, so for many of us, in fact, the intention behind the whole activation was that uh, they were not going to pull people who are already serving in the medical field in some capacity. Didn't seem to make sense to pull somebody from Miami Valley Hospital and then send them to Lima Hospital. You're just taking one from one to just give them to the other one. So the whole intention was that they're not supposed to be medically trained people and that we're going to do the, the kind of extra hand stuff that hospitals need to run, logistical support and cleaning things and, and that sort of thing. And so none of these people were particularly inclined to work in a hospital or work in a medical field of some sort. But as I had conversation with people who had been scrubbing down rooms after patients had been discharged in the ER or cleaning the floorways in the COVID floors, the conversation came up not once, not twice, but three times in my interaction of people who said, yeah, I, uh, I think I'm going to change my major. I think I want to go into nursing. I, th I think I want to be a, a, an ER tech. I think I want to do something in the medical field. And almost always the conversation developed around this idea that the reason they were so excited about doing it was because the passion of the nurses and the techs that they worked with rubbed off on them. They saw it lived out. They saw the reality of it, and they said, I want to do that. Even with all the hardness of it, even with all of the pain that came with it, even with all of the discomfort and the disruption of life that came with it, the passion rubbed off on them. That really spoke to me. Because um, I did not have the desire to work in the hospitals. I said, man, I love nurses, and I appreciate their hearts to work in hospitals, because that is not for me. But passion is a powerful thing. Human passion is a powerful thing. And all the more is Jesus' passion. See, Jesus' passion ignites passion within our hearts. Jesus' passion is literally the catalyst that ignites the passion for us and moves us and empowers us and fills us with the not only potential to do extraordinary things, but the desire to do extraordinary things. The longing to have purpose in life. 
the longing to be fulfilled in my pursuits comes from the passion that Jesus Christ has placed on the soul of humanity. And Jesus' passion ignites us and moves us. See, it's Jesus' passion for God and Jesus' passion for others and Jesus' passion that caused him to take himself and take upon himself the violence of humanity through the death on the cross and the resurrection from the dead. It was passion that motivated him, that moved him, that encouraged him, that shaped him, that allowed him in that moment of despair in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Lord, if it's possible, if there's any way you could take this cup from me, can you do this some other way? And God said no, or God just didn't say anything, which meant no. Jesus then said, I'm going to do it still. I'm going to do it because of the passion living in me, moving me, shaping me. And in our reading today, we see a scene it's right after the death and burial. Two people on a seven-mile journey, the Emmaus Road. We only know one of them by name, Cleopas. We don't even know the gender of the other person. Could be a woman, could be a man. But they were disciples. They'd been following Jesus. They'd been trying to understand what this prophet was talking about, and, and maybe perhaps he was somebody who was really important, not just another teacher. And I want us to see something, something that happens there in verses 20 and 21. And I want you to hear the passion that's coming out of their voices as they're talking to Jesus about who Jesus was. They said, The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. Can you hear that pain there? That kind of like distrust in the people who are supposed to take care of us? The chief priests and the rulers, the ones we've put in power, the ones we've entrusted with the authority to lead us and shape us, have let us down. You ever feel like that? They crucified him. Here's where it gets even heavier. But we had hoped, we'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. He was the one who was supposed to make things right again. He was the one who was supposed to, I won't say that. He was the one who was supposed to set things in order again. All our hope was in him. What is more, is the third day since all this took place. Like, Jesus dead dead now. Like, one day he's dead, but three days he's dead dead. Like, he's not coming back. Like, this is it. We're done. Like, the body's already started to decay. Pain. See, passion can be pain too, right? When passion isn't fulfilled, when passion isn't lived out, it often produces suffering and pain. And Jesus' passion that was rubbing off on these people when presented with the death of Jesus resulted in pain. Because my hopes that I had had for what Jesus was supposed to be for my life and the life of my friends and family didn't come true. And now I don't know what to do. And now I'm walking seven miles away from Jerusalem, away from that town, metaphorically but also physically kind of leaving that chapter behind me 
and trying to move on with life. What does life look like now? I'm not a follower of Jesus because Jesus is dead. They do go on to say that they heard about the resurrection, right? They say a couple of our women went to the tomb and and the stone was rolled away and there was no body there. And then they went back and told some other disciples and they went and still saw no body. uh, And there was an angel involved in it. But essentially it said, no body, no proof, right? Either, either there needs to be a dead body or there needs to be a living body. But either way, we can't believe that he's alive unless we see some evidence. Just because his body isn't there doesn't mean he's alive. There's a, a lot more logical conclusions to draw from Jesus' body being absent than the fact that, yeah, Jesus probably got up and walked out of there. More likely, grave robbers had taken him or something to that extent. There's something important about going on a journey and a walk, uh, a traveling with people. You know, I have these packs, and, and many of you have seen packs like this. Many of you have carried packs like this, or like the ones in the pictures there. And this is not nearly as heavy as the ones in those pictures there, or the ones I've carried before, but I've walked many miles with something like this on my back till my shoulders are sore and tight and my lower back is screaming at me and I can feel the blisters already popping on the bottom of my feet. That's gross, right? That's what walking does to your feet. Especially long journeys. Especially hard journeys. Where the road isn't paved and it's not smooth and it's uphill and it's downhill and it's round curves and there's bends and there's turns. And if we are talking about what you need to be ready for a good journey like that, a lot of us would say, well, I need a good pair of shoes, right? And I need to make sure I've got a hydration source, some kind of water, preferably. Um, As much as I love Dr. Pepper, it doesn't do me a lot of good when I'm walking out there like that. We'd say those things, but one of the other things that I found so helpful, and maybe you have too, if you've walked some of these hard journeys together, is that not only does the things I wear on my feet and the preparation my body has physically had for that time, uh, is that those are both important, but maybe even more important is who I go with. Who I'm walking with. The person I've got on my left and on my right, next to me, journeying alongside of me, traveling with me, feeling the same pains I'm feeling, suffering the same way I'm suffering. Maybe some of them are a little bit more skilled at it than me. Maybe some of them got a couple more miles before they started feeling some of the same effects as me. And maybe some of them didn't get quite as far as I did before they started feeling the effects. But it's that mutual relationship that we've committed, that we are on this together, that has shaped and formed that movement. And so in our story, we see that Cleopas isn't just walking by himself. He has a companion with him. And one of the key things about a companion is having a good companion who knows just the right amount of conversation that's necessary to pass the time, right? Some of us like a little bit more silence and solitude on our walks. We don't need Chatty Cathy talking all day long. Others of us want to be distracted, and they want somebody to be talking nonstop so we can keep going, right? Your companion matters on the road. And it's individualized and it's personalized. 
Luke tells us that Cleopas had a companion, and they were sharing and journeying together and talking about life together. And really, it's their conversation that matters. The things they're talking about. They're wrestling. They're trying to figure out what life looks like now. And then this stranger pops up out of nowhere and begins to join them in the conversation. Once again, companionship matters because Jesus was a good walking companion for them. He wasn't disrupting them on their journey. He didn't come in and say, hey, you guys need to go back to Jerusalem because Jesus is alive. No, he let them wrestle. He let them ask difficult questions. And then he spoke truth with conviction and with honesty. Verse 27 says, Jesus spoke to them and said, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus got that head knowledge and spilled it out for them. Listen, guys. Exodus, chapter such and such. Deuteronomy, chapter such and such. Genesis, chapter such and such. Isaiah, such and such. Ezra, such and such. Jesus is going through it, laying it all out. Prophecy, 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 prophecy. He says all those things were all about the Messiah. And wasn't this Jesus guy fulfilling all of those things? And didn't Isaiah talk about how Jesus needed to suffer and it was by his wounds that we are healed? He's like, why aren't you believing in this? The scriptures literally told us this is what was supposed to happen. And yet even as Jesus is illuminating all these things to them and he's expressing all this truth about who he is, they still don't know he is who he is. They have no idea this is Jesus talking to them. Not a clue. But yet they consider themselves followers of Jesus. They consider themselves to be disciples. And they don't even know what Jesus looks like. See, all the head knowledge, all the right thoughts, all of that conjuring of information is all well and good. But without a relationship, it doesn't transform us. Without an intimate, connected relationship, having all the right answers doesn't do anything. But maybe give the right answers to somebody else. Relationship, companionship, because passion doesn't transfer from data, right? Passion isn't transmitted by information. If it was, then all of those soldiers I talked to that said, hey, I want to be a nurse now after working in the hospital, would have decided they want to be a nurse when they read it in a textbook. I don't know if you've read medical textbooks before. I don't think anybody's got passion from a medical textbook before, right? Even my nurses are shaking their heads. No, it's not exciting. Passion is through relationship, through companionship. Jesus understands this. See, Jesus' passion ignites passion within our hearts. And he's bestowing it on them here in a way that they don't even see yet, they don't even understand yet. Check out what it says in verse 30 through 32. Jesus was going to keep going further, right? He's like, I, I'm going to walk a little bit more. And they said, no, 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 it's, 
sun's going down, why don't you come stay with us tonight? You know, it'll be safer for you, it'll be better. Plus, yeah, we've enjoyed talking to you. Why don't, you. why don't we just sit and talk a little bit more? So it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It wasn't the knowledge that opened their eyes. It was the participation in the death and resurrection that opened their eyes. It wasn't in knowing that Jesus died and rose again, but it was in actively participating in something, something that Christ has ordained, the sacrament of communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever term you use for it. That's where it says the switch happened. Their eyes were opened, and they saw what was standing in front of them the whole time, but they'd been blinded to it. Relationship matters. Because passion doesn't come through information. It comes through relationship. It comes through our companionship with Jesus and with others who follow him. Passion ignites our hearts. Jesus' passion ignites our hearts, right? Verse 32, they, they emphasize that a little bit. They asked each other after Jesus disappeared, were not, not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Like, in that moment, as I'm walking, we're, we're mile five, mile six on the journey. We're getting kind of close, and my feet are kind of hurting, and maybe I'm a little dehydrated, so I didn't quite know what was going on in my body, but I felt something, and it was strange, but I didn't really know what it was. But now, now I'm looking back on it and I'm, I'm reflecting and I'm saying, that was, that was him. That was Jesus all along. That was the truth of Jesus coming into my life in a way that I couldn't even explain it or comprehend it at the time. Because my eyes were blind. But now, now I know what that feels like. And now that I know what that feels like, when somebody else has that feeling, I can help them understand what that is. Now that I know what this feels like, what this, this heart-burning, undiscernible kind of feeling feels like, when somebody else says, I feel this way, I know that's probably Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. That's power coming into their lives in a way that they never thought would. That's passion coming through the person of Jesus. So they, so they said their hearts were burning like a flame, right? And the thing about burning is, or flames, is they illuminate, right? They light things up. If we had a flame in here, we turned off all the lights, there would be some light still, even though the electricity was cut from the flame. But flames don't just illuminate Flames also burn. And burning is used to purify. To restore. If, uh, if any of you are 
kind of agriculturalists, you know that there are areas of forest and forest areas that regularly have what they call control burns. They burn away the dead trees and stumps and grass, all of the decaying things on purpose, in order that because once they clear it of all of that, they purify the ground again, now new life can grow from there again. You need some of that burning. You need to burn away the waste. You need to burn away the dead things. Because then the ground is fertile. Then there's room for growth. Then there's room for life. The dead stuff just gets in the way. See, Jesus' passion ignites us, and it transfers to us like a flame. It lights us and burns inside of us. One of my favorite services we do here at Walpock Naz is on Christmas Eve. And we have a candlelight service, and we use candles just like this one right here. And if you've never been here, what we do is, you know, we have our service, we sing some songs, we, we read some scriptures, we reflect on the power of Emmanuel, God with us. The fact that our God isn't like the gods of other faiths and traditions, that our God is not just on high somewhere, but that our God has put flesh on himself and chosen to die on a cross and resurrect from dead. And so we're reflecting on that. And then towards the final moments of the service, we have our, our Advent wreath over here. And in the center is the Christ candle. And we have the other candles around it, faith, hope, love, peace. In the middle is the Christ candle. And so what happens is myself and Stephen will come over here and we'll, we'll stick, all, stick our candle in the flame and ours will illuminate and then we'll pass the flame. And then they pass the flame to the next person and and so on down the line until everybody in the room has their candles lit. And then we do. We kill the lights and we sing Silent Night. And we're reflecting on kind of the, the peace and the ambiance of the simplicity of the candlelight. The idea that Jesus is the light of the world come to us. And like I said, it's true. Jesus is light. Jesus is also flame. Jesus is passion. Jesus illuminates, but he also burns away dead things in order for new things to grow, in order for new life to happen. In, uh, in Romans, Paul talks about this idea he calls the living sacrifice, that our bodies are to be living sacrifices. Essentially what he's say, saying is you need to be lit on fire so that everybody can see it and stay on fire. Not a dying sacrifice, a living sacrifice that can show others what it means to follow after Jesus. So what does this mean for you and me? We must understand first and foremost, that in order for Christ's passion to ignite us, we can't just get the right head knowledge. We can't just retain every word in the Bible, but have no personal connection to it. Words don't change us. 
A person changes us. We need to understand that the proximity matters. That if you want to be transformed, if you want to be ignited, if you want to be alive and on fire for Christ, that you have to be connected. And what we see in this story particularly is that our connection is better or maybe almost intended to be done with others. That lone rangers are not the intended outcome of the Christian walk. That we're supposed to journey together, wrestle together, hurt together, cry together, ask deep questions together, and encourage the flame in one another's hearts, and encourage the passion in one another. When your friend comes to you and says, I really think the Lord's asking me to do this, but I'm scared, I don't want to do that, that sounds too hard, sounds too difficult, The friend that wants to see that passion grow says, how do we help you get there? How do we get you to do that? How do we help you navigate the the fear and the trepidation and step into that unknown? The friend who doesn't care about the passion says, oh, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Right? You make the decisions for your life. You're, You're the one in charge. Don't let something else boss you around. But when Jesus lights a fire, we need people surrounding us to help encourage us to keep that flame alive, to keep it burning. Because these guys, before they realized it was Jesus, their flame was flickering. Maybe about out. Because they didn't see any more hope there. They didn't see any more opportunity there. But through their time together, And their time with Jesus, their flame was lit all the more. And these guys were involved in that stuff that we read about in Acts when the disciples got together and they were spreading the good news and the the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were preaching the gospel all over the place and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds were coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because they took care of the flame burning in their lives. And they looked after each other. This past Wednesday, um, and, and we're going to close with this, but this past Wednesday, um, our Digging Deeper, our adult Bible study time was, was canceled. Um, Stephen was on vacation. He wasn't going to be here, and I was still having the teens over there, but I couldn't really do the teens and the adults at the same time because um, I'm only one person. Um, and what was so cool to me was, at least from what I know, because these are the ones that came here, maybe others happened elsewhere, but five people came to this parking lot, maybe dropped off their teens or or just connected here, and intentionally chose to get together and spend time together in relationships, even though Bible study wasn't happening. Even though they weren't going to get any more head knowledge that night, they knew the value of their relationships with others, and they said, I'm committed to that. I'm committed to them. Let's keep the flame going. Similar thing happened in my life group as, as we wrapped up our life group season. One of the people in our life group was like, hey, uh, so I know life group's over for the season. We won't start it again until the fall. But what do you guys think about just getting together Tuesday night, Monday night, whenever, and just hanging out? 
Everybody in that group was like, yeah, let's do that. Because this is important. This is good. Even though we don't have an agenda, even though we don't have a schedule, even though we're not going to walk out of there saying, I've memorized three more verses today because of my time in life group. The passion has been ignited. And we play a role in shaping that and forming that for one another. See, Jesus' passion ignites passion within our hearts. So my prayer for us today is that Jesus' passion does become our passion. That his commitment to others becomes our commitment to others. And that the things that made Jesus' heart burn with intensity and make his heart burn with intensity, that they burn in our hearts as well. That the only quenchable fire or the only quenching of that fire is more Holy Spirit empowerment living in us and ultimately Jesus' return. So won't you stand and we'll close in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, once again I, I say thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for the passion that you've displayed through Jesus the Christ who came, who lived a sinless life in order that he could take on himself all of the violence of humanity, all of the death of humanity, all of the wrongdoing of humanity in order that we can live free. So Jesus, may you make our passion, or your passion, our passion. May you fill us. May you cause our hearts to burn with a desire to serve you deeper. And may we be willing to spread that flame to our friends and our neighbors, peers and colleagues, whomever we come in contact with, so that you might redeem and restore the world just as those two on the road to Emmaus said they hoped you were to do. We believe you're doing that. So Father, start in us and help us to be used by you for your purposes. For it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength. May you be filled with the passion of Jesus Christ. And may you go and love your neighbor as yourself. You are dismissed. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you were moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.